Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to the show today. We are looking forward to talking to you. If you're not ready to garden now, I don't think you can get ready. This weather is unbelievably awesome. It is sunny outside. It's going to be sunny for a while. In fact, it's almost going to. I was a little disturbed to see temperatures pointing toward the upper 80s somewhere later in the week. And it's like, come on, man, we got enough hot weather coming and for a long time. So let's not start that now. But we sure do enjoy the temperatures we have now. This is the time of year when everyone's a gardener, where pretty much everything you put in the ground wants to grow. Uh, there are other times of the year when, <laughs> that correct any mistakes we make, such as that beautiful hanging basket uh, of fuchsia flowers that looks so good right now. And, and you know, you, you'll get to enjoy it for at least two or maybe three weeks, and then the summer arrives and it starts to struggle. I may be exaggerating that a little bit, but you get the idea. When we're planting things in the flower bed, though, you definitely want to be able to plant things that are going to survive and, and be able to thrive for you uh, for a good while. Uh, we want to focus on those kind of things. I've got an article coming tomorrow in the, in the paper that's talking about a season of blooms. Uh, how do you plant a landscape so that you have blooms from January to December? And it just, there's always something coming up. There's always something blooming. Uh, what are some of the strategies or what are some of the plants that, that help us to do that? If you've moved here from another part of the country, you may have some favorites that you hope will grow here. And there's a chance, depending on where you move from, that they would. Uh, and there's also a good chance that they wouldn't. Uh, if you've come from uh, the northern half of the country, things like hostas and, and um, I don't know, that there's a whole host of things. Some of the, some of the ewes that are, that are grown up there, the forsythia that's enjoyed so much uh, up there, um, it's the lilacs. Oh my gosh, that's another one. I've been around lilacs. I understand the love of lilacs. I lived in uh, mid-America for a few years and enjoyed the fragrance and everything. Well, the closest we can do to lilacs here is a crepe myrtle that you go out and spray with perfume every morning so you can walk by it and enjoy the fragrance. Uh, but anyway, uh, you want to pick things that are going to survive and do well so you don't waste your money on, on, on other things. I like to think of landscaping dollars as an investment. Uh, not only can it be an investment that returns year after year after year, such as with naturalizing bulbs. You plant them once and they just keep cycling around each year and doing their little show when it's their time. Uh, but also an investment that makes your house more valuable. 
maybe a day will come where you you want to sell it, and uh, it would sure be nice to have a beautiful landscape that looks good, uh, so that uh, it's more valuable. And they've actually um, they this is that ubiquitous they that uh, we don't know who they are, but uh, studies have been done looking at the value of a tree to a home. And depending on the species of the tree, depending on, of course, the size and maturity of the tree and all of that, uh, but trees add an incredible amount of money to the value of your home, or they can if it's a large, beautiful tree. Uh, a master gardener many years ago, probably 30 years ago, showed me a picture of a tree that uh, he and his wife had planted when they were younger, or younger married. And it was a little scrawny little broomstick size oak that was out there beside the house and then he went back 40 or 50 years later and took a picture of it and it was this monster that sprawled almost the whole property it was just it was I would say it was almost like it was more valuable than the house just the beauty and the over just beautiful tree and it just reminds us that it makes sense to plant plants that want to be there and then to prune them if they're woody ornamentals in ways that are constructive, in other words, that build a structure for that tree so that in years to come, as storms come and go, it has the best chance possible of withstanding those uh, storms and not splitting up. And I know it's easy when you want a tree to go to the garden center, buy whatever's there or whatever your neighbor has in their yard, and maybe those are the plants you should be planting, but at least do your research and learn about what are the attributes of that plant. Is it deciduous or evergreen? Does it bloom or not? Does it tend to be long-lived and strong-wooded? Uh, or is it the opposite of those things? Uh, we have some plants that, in fact, in, in the Year of Blooms article, I, I left out a bunch of plants. And I, I suspect people you know, are going to look at it and think, well, what about, for example, Bradford pear? We are all, we're right now enjoying the blooms of, of Bradford pear uh, out in landscapes here and there. That is their asset. That is their single worthwhile purpose is to have beautiful blooms in the spring. From there, we have a lot of yeah buts. And the yeah buts, if you live, it's not so much of a problem here, although I saw one yesterday along a stream, a, a wild seedling of Bradford pear. But boy, when you get up into some parts of the country, you know, northeast, Pennsylvania, different places up in there, Bradford pear is, is a very invasive. It's like Chinese tallow down on the coast. A uh, very, very invasive plant. Um, and down here, my biggest beef with them is they grow fast and they have narrow branch angles and they fall apart before they have a chance to get old and look beautiful. Uh, they're, they're a tree that looks good for the first 15 years, maybe, maybe 10 years. I, probably I should limit it to that. I don't know. But a lot of it depends on how it's cared for and all of that. Uh, but that's one that didn't make my list, just because I don't think we need more of those around. Now, that's my personal opinion, and I'm sure there are people out there, uh, including those who sell Bradford pear, that aren't that crazy about that comment. But the, the truth is, we do have plants that probably don't need to be planted. Ligustrums and viburnums of some types, not every viburnum, for example. Uh, but we have some types that can be invasive. They get out in the woods and they are a booger to control. Once, in fact, once you have them out there in the wild, it, it's essentially, you're not going to get rid of them unless you just invest a lot of time and money to do it. 
And the biggest problem is birds can peck the berries, swallow them, fly over, and then plant and fertilize in one simple flick of the tail. And now you've got them in a whole new area where you just had eradicated them. So that's just another reason not to plant those, those kinds of plants. But I've kind of drifted off here in a monologue, and I didn't even tell you how to call us. So maybe that would be a good idea. Uh, our phone number, 979-845-5689, 5689 or if you'd like to email, uh, you can email me at gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. And I try to do the emails uh, each week when we're here at the show. I don't, uh, I'm not here answering emails in between times. So if you email me on a Thursday and I don't get to it, it'll be next Thursday probably when I, when I do get to it. Uh, and if for some reason you emailed and didn't get a response, please, please resend because occasionally we can overlook one. Uh, let's go now to the phones. Our number again, 845-5689, and we're going to talk to Kimberly. Hello, Kimberly. Hey, Skip. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have two questions. The first one is um, I've recently sodded my yard. It was sodded in December, um, new grass, St. Augustine. And my question is, I'd really prefer to use more natural methods. What do you suggest for a good fertilizer to get it established? For the, the um, St. The Augustine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, the, the best thing you want to do long-term for your lawn is return the clippings. That, and you I might, always, always mulch Right. It. Always return those because that's where most of the nutrients are going to come from for okay. that grass, most of them. Uh, now, fertilizer is important, and especially early on when you're trying to get it to grow and get established and things, it's helpful. But I would do it in small doses. And there are some, you mentioned you wanted something that's that's not synthetic. There are some natural fertilizers out there on the market. Uh, here in the Brankai Station area, I've seen uh, MicroLife and Fox Farm that are available. And I know, I know MicroLife has a 624, and that particular blend has that, three, one, two ratio of nutrients that most lawns okay. are going to do well with. Now, uh, so I would, I would do those. Keep in mind that, that an organic fertilizer, <clears throat> in almost all cases, is going to be a slow-release fertilizer because it has to microbially decompose and get released. Those nutrients have to get released by microbial activity uh, and into the soil. So you're not going to put it down and, and just see your lawn tomorrow suddenly turns emerald green. It's gonna, it's gonna have to grow into it, but uh, we're not near fertilizing time uh, for the lawns. So I say we're um, not, we're mid, not near mid-April. Mid-April, yeah. That. Yeah, that's what I usually do. When so. when your when your neighbors yeah. have mowed their lawn twice, your yours is mm-hmm. brand new, so it's kind of hard to gauge. But with your lawnmower. Okay. And my second question is: um, I went to the natural plant cell last week, and unfortunately, was there towards the end, but I bought a crepe myrtle shrub, which looked completely dead, but she, the lady told me that, no, they were fine, that once they were put in the ground, they would bloom. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Is it worth me going ahead and planting it well, in my bed? It has know, no blooms at all. I'm, you're talking about last Saturday? Uh-huh. Yeah, it should it should be alive, and and okay. that, that should be fine. I you know, I, it's it's hard over the radio to tell you if a plant's alive or dead, but the, right. I, I saw a lot of the plants. I saw nothing that looked like any concern at all to okay. me. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I definitely put it in the ground. I think you probably got a smaller statured one 
right? And I, not, that's what I wanted. Uh-huh. I just wanted a small little bush. So yeah, good, good. Well, I okay. hope you hope you enjoy that. Uh, yeah, crepes uh, now come in every size. I mean, from three feet to thirty feet, we've got. Well, I've seen so many blooming lately out mm-hmm. and about that it made me wonder. Well, maybe this one really, you know, did get take the freeze too hard or something. So. No, I th- I think okay. it's fine. I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't, wouldn't worry about it. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kimberly. Our number is 845-5689 or gardensuccess at tamu.edu if you want to email a photo. Uh, Let's go to the phones and talk to John. Hey, John. Good morning, Skip. I I got two questions. One is uh, Mary wants to know if she can plant celery in Robertson County with any success. The other question is, I haven't seen a, a sign of anything on my asparagus yet. Is it still too early? It's, I think it's a little early. I don't have asparagus in the garden, and so I, I, can't, I can't say I've seen asparagus popping up anywhere. Uh, seems like we ought to have some, though, doesn't it? Uh, we're already into April, about to jump into April here. Um, I'm going to have to say, everybody listening, if you got asparagus, call us and let us know. Are you seeing the spears? I, uh, I, I should be able to give you a better answer than that, John, but I, I just don't know. We're, we're still looking at ground temperatures of, of in the high 50s, so I, maybe it's just too, too early. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to stay with I don't know. Uh, <laughs> on the on the celery, you can grow celery down here, and people do. Uh it it's a, a little it can be a little bit of a challenge at times to grow it there's a type of celery that that i grow and it's it's um an, the asian celery it it makes a little mounding plant with petioles that instead of being big old celery stalks that you know you you use for dipping uh it it has little petioles about the size of a pencil and you don't need much of it in fact one plant and it's used as a seasoning it's not used as a fresh eating uh, food tray type dish, uh, so both of those will do well here. I, or I know the, the the Asian celery does really well here, and the other one I've seen it grown, but you don't see it a lot. And I'm thinking that it, it's given people a little bit of a hard time. May want be one of the reasons for that. It may get too hot too quick. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What's the variety? I think it's Utah. Is it Utah? Or that you see around here? Anyway, I'll I'll look at look it up and see. You guys, uh, the, you know, the, we're kind of getting to the end of all that type of season, too, because it, it does pretty well when it's cooler. So I don't, I've never tried planting it this late, but it, that'd be another one to find out if it, you want to experiment with it. Okay. I, we, we, keep, <laughs> we keep planting peas and beans, and I, and I finally have put a wire over all our raised beds because every time we plant it, come back the next day and, Something has dug up all the seeds and eaten them. So, yeah, anyway, I'm hoping that this round with the, with the wire over the over the the beds. Ho- hopefully, that'll work. Just give them a chance to get up and growing, right? Yeah, because I, I think I, I don't have any problem with with the transplants that I put out. It's just the seeds. I don't know if they smell them or what, but mm-hmm. they, on the corn particularly. I mean, I have planted corn three times, and well, not this year, but last year. And uh, they very carefully dig out each kernel of corn, and they're okay. gone. <laughs> so, well, you know, farming was easy. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm looking. I looked at in Utah is the variety I was trying to think of on the celery, and I was checking days to harvest, and that's I think that's the problem. 100 to 200 days to maturity. Oh gosh. Yeah. So yeah. never make it through the. Yeah, oh. that's a that's a lot of time in the garden uh, over the cool season. Uh, I I just think we probably get too hot. Although again. The, I, I called it Chinese celery. I don't know that it's it specifically should be called Chinese celery or just some an Asian type of celery. Those I've taken even into the summer and they did okay. But that's what it says on the seed packet is Chinese celery. Yeah, I look for Chinese celery or Asian celery, and it's going to be it's going to be a little mounding plant, maybe a foot. Mine were about a foot high or so, and uh, but but it's more of a seasoning kind of plant you know so you chop it up mm -hmm. to put in a soup and you won't need as much as regular celery and celery anyway can be a little overpowering in in dishes yeah we, we can probably just put that in the keyhole in the, yeah yeah it'd be a little box. this one would be a little too strong to just you know grab one of those little stalks not only are they just pencil size not that rigid to use but if you ate it just fresh like that it would it would overwhelm you in the first bite <laughs> well good maybe that's a good seasoning then that it is a good seasoning. It sure is. It Thank sure you. is. All Thank right. You. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Our phone number is eight four five five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine or by email, garden success at tamu dot edu. Garden success at tamu dot edu. I uh, had a question uh, come in from Jesse, and uh, I'll just go ahead and answer this one on the air. It's a, it's a, a planting of things like uh, daylilies, maybe some other bulbs, and then here comes Bermuda grass and St. Augustine grass uh, invading. And what do you do? Can you kill one without killing the other? And um, so St. Augustine, uh, as, as Jesse points out, is easy. St. Augustine lives on top of the ground. It, its runners are all up on top of the ground. There's no underground rhizomes uh, that, uh, you know, are going to pop up somewhere else. So it's real easy to grab one and yank out the whole runner and be done with it. Now, Bermuda grass, there is, there is a problem. Uh, it's got the above ground runners or stolons. It's got the below ground rhizomes, and it invades rapidly and with a vengeance. And so pulling the, it up is not going to work. Uh, the the extreme step of just basically digging up the bed, getting all of the the Bermuda grass out of there, all the rhizomes and stuff, filtering through the soil, and then resetting your 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 bulbs. Oh my gosh, that's that's a lot of work. But that certainly would be a no spray option. Um, good luck, because uh, you're going to probably have a few you miss that you have to go back after. Uh, but the next step would be to use a spray. Uh, so when you're when you're talking about using a spray, the the products that are available are either a general weed killer, which would be something like glyphosate that kills broadleaf and grassy weeds, and so if it gets on your desirable plants, it's probably going to kill them too. Very few things can tolerate uh, a spray of glyphosate. I mean, and it, even the things that would tolerate it, it'd be like they survived it. It didn't quite kill them. Uh, but the other type of ingredient are a grass-only killer. The the problem is that a lot of our bulbs are very grass-like in the kind of, of plant that they are. And I would need to see a label to check. And if I 
do this off the air. Maybe I, I'll check. Uh, what are what are these grass killers labeled for? And you need to read the label very carefully because that would be my my concern. A lot of our bulbs with the parallel venation and stuff. I'm just not sure that the grass-only killers are safe. In fact, I, I, I would be very suspect of that. Uh, but the label's the law, and that's where the the buck stops. So, check those and see if indeed you can use the grass-only killers. Those would be used in flower beds among all your broadleaf plants to kill the grassy invader weed like Bermuda grass out of there. So that's something to think about. Um, that might be an option. The ingredients on those are, there's really two main ones that are in the home garden market. Uh, one is called Fluazifope. It's F-L-U-A-Z-I-F-O-P. And the other one is Sethoxidim, S-E-T-H-O-X-Y-D-I-M. So look for F-L-U-A-Z is the ingredient or S-E-T-H-O, uh, that X, that's going to be uh, the two ingredients that you're looking for. But again, before anybody goes out with anything on those, make sure you've, you've checked that uh, on, the on the label. Uh, I had a question. Uh, speaking of herbicides, uh, uh, Melinda asked about uh, using 2,4-D and preen uh, in, in gardens, and are they safe? Uh, are they safe for the environment? Everything that you spray has a side effect, a negative side effect. And I, 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 I say this all the time because I, I want people to not think in terms of a good pesticide and a bad pesticide. Now, there are certainly some that are much more toxic or much more likely to get into the, the water systems and the creeks and things. They, they travel easier. There are some that are more, that are more uh, toxic to beneficials or, or have more potential human toxicity. Or, and, and so I'm not saying there's no difference in them. I'm just saying that every one has its drawbacks. And insecticidal soap is the best example I can think of. We bathe our bodies in soap, and it's fine for us. But when you bathe an aphid or a spider mite with soap, you kill it because of the effect of it on the waxy cuticle, the out, outside layers, and some other things that it can do. And so insecticidal soap, if you're a lady beetle larva or a lacewing larva, or if you're a parasitoid wasp that is developing inside of an aphid that got sprayed with soap, it's deadly for all those beneficials, even though it is the safe, uh, we say it's the safest product we can think of. So uh, I, I just want to dispel that, you know, well, this is, this is a pesticide you use indiscriminately, and this is one that you don't. And I realize I'm, I'm going a circuitous route around Melinda's question, but we're going to pause in mid-route and uh, take a phone call uh, from Jim. Hello, Jim. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Skip, I have a row of Vitex, I'd say 30 yards long, that I put in years ago for the bees to have nectar. Okay. And they have, by roots or by tip layering, expanded on both sides of the original row. Okay. And I would like to go in and cut those extras down and, and, and lasso them and bring them out. Okay. And treat, and treat the stump. My question is, how close can I get to the original treating the new stump without hurting the original? Does that make sense? Yes. I'm as you're asking the question. I'm thinking that Vitex doesn't root sucker, and I may be wrong about that. 
but I've never noticed it root suckering. What it does is reseed. And I pull up Vitex seedlings around a Vitex that I have periodically. And maybe that that's what you're seeing. If it is a reseeding, then you can kill that plant with no problem at all to the mother plant. And so, you know, in other words, there's not a connection. If it were a root sucker and you sprayed something like a glyphosate type Roundup type product on it, it would travel and, and it, would, it would go back and affect the, the mother plant as well. It may not kill it, but it would, it would be bad for it. But I'm, I'm, I'll say I'm 90% sure it doesn't root sucker because I cannot recall ever seeing that. Well, I know it tip, it tip roots. Yes, you can tip oh. root. It, it sure can. And if that's the case, then you got to sever it from the mother plant. And, and you ought to be able to do that because that's an above ground severing. You know, you can see the arching branch that dropped down and started the new one unless it's already been right. cut loose. And so once it's cut loose from the mother plant, then do what you want with the, the baby have plant. Have my way with it. Have your okay. way with the well, baby plant, yeah. Thank you very much. You take a chance and have a wonderful day. Well, Jim, let me add one thing. Uh, okay. When, whenever you're dealing with woody woody weeds, dif mm -hmm. difficult to control woody weeds, you, you the best, simplest way within a garden landscape environment is to treat the, the stump itself, I think like you indicated, rather than spraying the foliage. Because when you start spraying foliage, the spray drifts or whatever. And you use may, you may end up using more product. But when you cut one of those plants off, immediately take a little, little foam paintbrush, one of those little cheapo foam throwaway paintbrushes, and dab a product that contains triclopyr on that stump. And it'll translocate down and kill it. And you have not sprayed every stuff all over the place. You put a few drops right there on the plant itself. And that is the, that is the best, most efficient and effective, and I'll say less damaging to anything else around it that you can do. Okay, I, that's basically what I do. Okay, but uh, I'm not sure I write use that chemical. What okay. I use is a hodgepodge of stuff I found on the shelf that I probably should have just thrown away a long time ago. Okay, well I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment on that since I don't know what the hodgepodge is, but don't tell me. <laughs> don't, okay, tell, don't tell me. I, Give I, me that product number, that yeah, chemical. The it's T R I C L. T R is in Tracy. Uh, yes, R is in T -R -I. Robert. C-L-O-P-Y-R. P as in Paul? P as in Paul, Y, and then R as in Robert. Uh, T as in Tiger, R as in Robert, I as in Indico, uh, C-L-O-P-Y-R. Yes, sir. Triclopyr. And it, it, for the home garden market, it'll be on the, on the shelf, and it'll have names like... Poison Ivy Killer, Brush Be Gone, those kinds of names. There's a hundred names of it and a hundred yep. different companies making different things. But just that's better. It's it's similar to what ranchers use for brush. One of the things ranchers use for brush, it's the Fair same enough. ingredient. Uh, but uh, it just, it's the, if you, if you want to minimize your pesticide use and maximize your effectiveness, that's the way to do it. It's, well, brush be gone, I'm familiar with. Yeah, yeah. It's bre better than glyphosate for, for some of our woodies. Yeah, it's, that's a grass killer, basically, right? No, but glyphosate kills everything, but it 
for this kind of treatment, the triclopyr is just a little bit better. And if okay. someone's listening and they've got, you know, uh, an acre they're trying to deal with problems on, give me a call. Let's talk because it's going to be a little different answer. Or if you've got a very, very long fence row and you got all the all the things, hackberries and everything coming up in the fence row, that's another situation we could talk about that a little bit more. It's a little bit different approach, but for what you're talking good. Okay. All right. <laughs> you're going to have to sell me on that one, Jim. Okay. <laughs> I know it has certain attributes. All right. Thank you for the call. Our phone number, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. All right. Back to the question Melinda had about 2,4-D and Preene. Are they, are they safe for the environment? I will say this. If you use a product according to the label, I would consider it reasonably safe. Okay. Now that is not to say that no bad could come of it. You know, it drifts over on something else or whatever. Uh, but you don't mix it twice as strong as the label. You don't apply it at times or in ways other than what the label says to apply it. Uh, for example, I, I just mentioned the you know, the triclopyr is, is dabbing it on the cut stump or the the base of that plant you've cut off. If you were to drench it, take a watering can and drench it over the top, that is not a label application and it can get on in the soil to cause you some problems for your other plants because I guarantee you your trees are in your yard everywhere. They're in your neighbor's yard everywhere, the roots. Uh, and so misapplication, that that's the biggest problem. Uh, so if you're concerned about uh, safety, then I would say number one, uh, the labels is the law. Uh, each of these products has its own things that it it may or may not uh, do. A 2,4-D on a real hot day, if especially if it's the wrong form, can volatilize and drift and cause damage to other plants that are nearby. Uh, but again, uh, the, the label should warn you about those kinds of things. And some of the products that are made for southern use uh, have a different form of 2,4-D that doesn't do that as bad. Uh, so um, that that would be my recommendation. If you don't want to use those kinds of products, there's usually another workaround for the home gardener. Uh, it's not like you have to use herbicides. Uh, you can. You, there are other things that you can do. So uh, just give us a call on the specifics, and we can answer those uh, case by case, I think, is a better way to approach it. Our phone number is 845-5689 and email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Let's go to the phones and talk to David. Hey, David. Hey, how's it going? I'll say good afternoon, and um, you're very kind not to correct all your uh, callers who think it's morning still. You know, I, I say morning myself sometimes because I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still, I'm so far behind it's still morning for me. How about that? Yeah. That well, sounds like a good excuse. With, yeah, that's what the problem with a noon uh, a show at noon. That's yeah. the problem. Well, anyway, uh, first I'll say I, I picked some asparagus, uh, uh, not a lot, but uh, it's a, a patch that I've had for probably ten years, and it just I don't do a whole lot with it, but it's it comes back and puts some nice shoots out. And mm -hmm. I handed one to my neighbor, and I said, she said, oh. I said, I just picked this, and she, I said, have you ever eaten it raw? And she said, well, no. And she tried it and said, oh, I think that's even better than cooked. There so, you go. <laughs> so anybody, anybody that, uh, I mean, it is kind of a pain. You know how it is with asparagus. It yes. kind of takes over that part of your garden. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yes. but anyway, so, so that's uh, just kind of in response to your other caller. I believe it was 
John. Yeah. Hey, hey, David. Uh, let me ask you. When did you when did you start harvesting your asparagus? Do you recall? Uh, you mean this year? Yes. Uh huh. Uh, it was uh, I, the first shoots didn't come up till probably four or five days ago, so okay. not not long ago. All right. Okay. That is, as you, as you, if you've ever grown asparagus, they sort of they're not there one day and all of a sudden they're yes. You know, you look back and they're eight inches tall sometimes. Mm-hmm. So they do sneak up, but yeah. they're starting to come out more now. So uh, So that so anyway. Uh, also, uh, just a question. It's uh, don't necessarily kind of an observation question, but but I've been growing Kentucky um, winter beans for a long time, the pole beans, and they're very space efficient and good on the back when you can get a good good growth on them. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this year I don't even know. The, I'm, I'm late because I just didn't get, get them in the ground. But but I bought a couple of packets, and, and I opened them up, and I thought, oh, great. I can't believe this, but they, they've mislabeled. They, they bought the wrong seeds in here because uh, they're, they're white, and... And all these years I've been growing them, they've never been white. They're kind of tan. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I, so I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I guess I'll just plant them anyway. They're smaller. They're white. This can't be right. Well, then I go online, and then there's supposedly some kind of version that's still supposed to be Kentucky Wonder. It was some like 191 white or something. Have you ever heard of various versions of Kentucky Wonder beans? <laughs> No, I I haven't heard much about that. I but I have seen Kentucky Wonders with a range of days to harvest, um, and it, that's been one of my concerns with some of the original uh, Kentucky Wonder pole beans. Is they took a long time to start producing, and I, I would end up recommending faster varieties. But then I've seen some lately that you know are kind of kind of fast and so i don't know if it's just another strain that they found what did you say the number was on the one well there was a i believe it was 191 because as i did on my online search somebody said uh oh well i grow the 191 white bean one and and that's done well for me and i'm thinking wow so at least it i guess verifies that even though the packet and it was from uh one of the box stores and it it didn't say anything on it about being a different type of Kentucky Wonder, uh, but anyway, it, it uh, so so it, it was just labeled as Plano Kentucky Wonder. I just thought you might have heard of this because it was. Uh, con- I thought for sure it couldn't be the right the right seed, but it. I guess it. I guess it is. It just it just seems strange to me that this is sort of like a uh, you know this isn't a hybrid or anything. It's been around forever. Apparently it was once called Texas Bean or something, and then it got back to being called Kentucky Wonder. Uh, it's got a long history, but I've grown it for years, and I've even planted planted it in the uh, uh, planted it in the fall. Uh, oh, did we lose you? I think we may have we may have lost David on that. Uh, David, sorry if, if you want to continue that you can feel free to call back i was just i was just trying to hunt that one down i think we may have david back so i'll pause just here for a moment all right david we got you back um i don't know yeah let's see here we are, are. You there yes sir i'm here okay um yeah i don't see i'm looking for that 191 and i'm not successful in finding but i i'd have to 
be off the air and do a little more searching. But yeah, okay. the, the Kentucky Wonder it, it gets stuck on a lot of things. There's a, a yellow version of wax Kentucky Wonder, and then there's Kentucky. Oh, is that right? Kentucky blue pole and people throw all these names. I, I like a couple of the flat potted pole beans too. McCaslin uh, is a really good one. And oh gosh, what is the other one? McCaslin. Well, the, yeah. Well, actually, the, the the standard one that I've grown for years is is actually slightly flat. Mm-hmm. The picture the picture of the white one is appeared appears to be round. Okay. So it's probably going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and again, I won't keep any longer. I just was kind of wondering about that. I, the, the the big the big deal with me was is that um, is is that uh, I was I was con- I really like the flavor. There there is I have I've had a lot of green beans and fresh out of the garden. My dad used to grow them all the time, and they were okay. But if you've never had Kentucky Wonder beans and I, it may be true for the bush style too mm-hmm. you should really try it or or i would encourage your listeners to try it because uh they have a distinctive much uh i, I don't want to say stronger flavor but it's a much more uh, pronounced flavor that that is just really good i've had people say i've never had beans like these before and it was always in a very complimentary mm-hmm. manner so so I will just throw that out. I don't know what I'm going to get. I'm going to find out for the first time what the white bean version is like. I'll right. report back if I get anything. Okay. Uh, but I have not had that much trouble with, with them not producing before it got too hot or whatever. They, they've done very well. I've usually given a bunches, bunches away and frozen some and so on. So, uh, which, which I'll make one more quick comment on that. A lot of people... Uh, of course, read and you got to, you know, you got to blanch if you're going to freeze. And, and I've done that, but for some reason, I've just reading some other things. I've, I decided I'm going to be lazy. I just froze them without blanching and they were very good. So even months later. So, uh, if anybody thinks that's too much trouble, you can try freezing some without blanching. And sure enough, uh, they were, they held up really well. So, which surprised me, but I had read that online that, oh yeah, you don't really need to blanch them. I tried that with with sugar snap peas, and they were a disaster. They were yeah. like nasty mush, but but the uh, but the beans held up. So I'll let you move on to other things. But uh, I wanted to mention about the asparagus and about uh, my my bean mystery. But uh, it's I guess not as mysterious as I thought. I thought it was just strictly one one variety, and that was it. But apparently. As you said, the name has been stuck to more than one one actual version of it. Yeah, it, it kind of has. And I did find, by the way, I, I, I did find a, a research base uh, from the University of Georgia ex, uh, Ag Extension that uh, talks about the 191. Uh, oh, really? It doesn't. The, good or bad? <laughs> uh, good. I mean, it just, you know, just describing them. Pods 6 to 10 inches long, slightly rough, thick and wide. And the seeds are white on 191. Yeah, so. Yeah. So I believe that but that may be really what you. Really surprised me. Yeah. Like I said, I was absolutely sure that they had mislabeled. <laughs> you know that they had messed up at the uh, where they were producing these seeds and, right. and put the wrong seeds in there because uh, I'm, I think that at least happened at least once in my life where where the, yeah. the package was wrong. But but anyway. Okay. So, well, I, thanks. I, uh, yeah, let us know how they do. I'd be curious to hear back uh, from you. On I, that. I, I will. I will. Okay. Enjoy your show. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Our phone number is 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu 
www.ncc.edu. Well, let's see. We are on the verge of April, so let's talk about things going on around town uh, in April uh, in the uh, upcoming uh, kinds of activities. Uh, the uh, Rio Brazos Audubon Society is inviting the public to come to their monthly meeting on Wednesday, April 13th at 6.30 p.m. at the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History on Briarcrest Road, just to the east of the bypass. The program is going to be Ecology and Natural Resource Teaching Area, College Station's Naturalist Paradise by Dan Robinson. Uh, property manager for 600, 750 acres of grassland, oak savanna, and oak woodland uh, that's owned by Texas A&M. So uh, I, would, I would suggest you give that a shot if that sounds interesting to you. Ecology and Natural Resource Teaching Area, uh, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society, and that's Wednesday, April 13th at 6.30 out at the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History on Briarcrest Road. Uh, let's see, they, uh, they're also going to be doing a site visit on uh, April 16th, three days later, and they can tell you more about that uh, at the first meeting, or you can go hunt them down on the web and, and find out from them there. Uh, but coming up sooner, uh, April 2nd, the Lions Extension Club's annual spring plant sale will be uh, this Saturday, uh, just Few days, a couple days from now, uh, they're going to have a selection of plants, including pass-along plants. By the way, pass-along plants are plants where I dig them up from my yard and I, I divide them and give them to people to plant in their yard. I'm passing them along, and a lot of plants have been moved around that way uh, over the years, uh, become uh, part of that heirloom plant network, but you, you don't have to have an heirloom to have a pass-along pass plant. There'll be yard sales and bake items, and this is out in Somerville at the American Legion Hall on 8th Street, 738th Street in Somerville. Uh, the um, pass-along plant out there, and it starts at 8.30 in the morning, goes to 3 p.m. The Lions Extension Club Annual Spring Plant Sale. Now, on April 12th, which is a Tuesday, the Brazos Valley Rose Society is meeting, and uh, one of our master gardeners, Sandy Lovering, will be talking about fairy gardens, and that's a noon meeting of the Brazos uh, Valley Rose Society. For more information, I'm gonna, for directions on the location and everything, uh, get your pen. You should always listen to this show with a pen and paper nearby because who knows, you might hear something you want to write down. Uh, the phone number for the Brazos Valley Rose Society meeting information is 778-4252. 778-4252. Uh, so those are some things that are coming up really soon. Uh, we always uh, like to uh, talk about some of the out and about kinds of things as well. Uh, on April 2nd, the De Gallery First Saturday Art Fair on uh, North Rosemary and Bryan, uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's where we've talked about this before, but they have art, visual artists, uh, showcase painting, sculpture, photography, jewelry, handcrafted items, live music, and on and on and on. Uh, for more information, just go to the website D E G A L L E R Y De Gallery D E G A L L E R Y dot U S. On Saturday, April 9th, that's a week from Saturday. Uh, the Wildflower Day at Boonville Heritage Park. You 
can identify wildflowers and create your own unique wildflower masterpiece. There's going to be an opportunity to interact with some of our local artists and organizations. Uh, Watercoloring, color pencil. When we say create a masterpiece, we're not talking about picking it to go home and show mom. We're talking about taking watercolors and color pencils and all kinds of things for you to go out and do some drawing yourself uh, out at that event. And also on Saturday, April 9th, and also and following on April 10th, the Chapel Hill Blue Bonnet Festival, the official state of Texas Blue Bonnet Festival, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., April 9th and 10th, out at Chapel Hill. You can enjoy the landscapes through the area, family-friendly festival. There will be live music. Uh, arts and crafts and other things. Uh, parking is $10, and uh, just you can do a Google search or go, to, or go to the Chapel Hill Historical Society, all one word, chapelhillhistoricalsociety.com, and find out how to get uh, to that one. Uh, there's a lot of other events going on around the community. Maybe if we can get back to them, we'll, we'll catch some of those in a moment. But for now, let's go to the phones and talk to Brian. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, sent you an email earlier about uh, needing some bushes 12 to 15 feet high, 10 to 15 feet high, colorful and evergreen to block a backyard neighbor along my fence line in College Station. Okay. And uh, I know y'all don't like the red tips, because, red tip fatinias because of uh, blight or something. Uh-huh. A, a fungal leaf disease. Uh-huh. Yeah. But if I don't overwater them, can I get away with those in Texas sage, both? Okay. Well, um, you said 10 to 15 feet high. Let me ask yes. you, are you um, – I'm, I'm not questioning you, I guess, but I just want to make sure you're really sure it needs to be that high because we can block a lot of views with a shorter hedge than that. Now, depending on where you're sitting and where the eyesore is and how close to the fence line and all that, it – it affects it, but I just want to make sure we got to get something that high. Yeah, we do because the uh, next door neighbors built up on a higher level than ah, my okay. backyard. Okay. All right. Let's see. I know you like hollies. Well, sometimes. I know there was much, much Some, sometimes. color for those. No, the sometimes, and it depends on the. It depends on the uh, holly and the and the site. There are a lot of sites around here where holly is not a, a good choice. Uh, so the red tip is an option. There's also just a standard Fraser fotinia, uh, you know, that uh, is it gets very tall, very large. the The problem, uh, Brian, is that as plants get taller, they usually get wider, and so you end up giving up a lot of property line trying to get the height. You see what I'm saying? Uh, sure. A lot of things can be pruned, but now you're trying to prune a 10 to 15 foot high wall. Uh, right. and, and so that becomes a problem. Uh, so then that leads us toward more narrow upright or columnar types of growth habits. And then you're buying a whole lot of plants because you may be putting plants four feet apart. Uh, and so when you go down that property line, uh, you, you know, you're you're running out of pages in the checkbook trying to, to get all that purchased and sure, and sure. set out. And then there's the rate of growth. Um, 
I, I think I would like a little more time than just shooting from the hip on the air uh, for that. Not a problem. I, you've got my email. Okay. Oh, I did? I, I was looking yeah. when you said that, and I don't... Uh, well, I sent it earlier. If not, I'll send it again. Okay, resend it, please, because I looked and okay. I didn't see it. Uh, it, it. Let me ask you some other questions. Is the soil sand, silt, clay? What kind of soil do you have? It, it's typical uh, clay-type Okay. Uh, but I've tried to put a, uh, a built-up bed there, but, yeah, it's still got clay in it. I mean, I was uh, cleaning it out okay. uh, from the kill a couple years ago, and, and uh, there's still a lot of clay in there. Okay, and how does the site sit in terms of drainage? I know it's not going to go downward because of the clay, but is it a high spot? Is it a low spot where water tends to collect after a rain? It doesn't collect there no no okay. no it's not a high spot either but it doesn't collect water no okay well the first probably five to six plants that come to mind i think for one reason or another you're you're probably not going to want um, uh, generally either they're too big overall or they're too slow growing uh, one strategy and you kind of have to use your imagination on this but uh, people will use a um, uh, like a cattle panel, a livestock panel on posts to get a taller wall and putting a vine on it. Vines can be very fast growing and if you get an evergreen vine you can create a pretty good screen uh, that that covers that quickly while some plants that you've planted below then grow up and maybe take its place over time. So it's like a two-level type of thing. So that that is just a strategy to consider. You may just in the visual of that go, yeah, that's not going to work. And so, but but I'll throw that out but there. More likely, my homeowners association might say that. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, that that is so true. That is true. Um, uh, the other problem with some of our taller, thin things is some of them are deciduous, and that therefore they just don't. Uh, they don't give you your screen year-round, and you want it year-round. A lot of the junipers that we have uh, are so prone to problems with fungal blights of their scaly-like foliage or uh, bagworms, which eat their foliage. And once you lose a, a foliage in a section of a juniper, it doesn't come back. It's you, That plant has just got this dead hole in it now. Uh, and so I'm not crazy about using those. There's clumping types of bamboo. They don't run, they clump. So think about uh, in, in terms of weeds and grasses, we've got pampas grass that's a clumping, and we've got Bermuda grass that's a running. So we're talking about something that the clump gets bigger but in time, but it doesn't you know, take off and go everywhere. Uh, those, I've had to fight bamboo before. I'm, I'm not real high on bamboo. Right, the, the runners especially. But the clumpers yeah. the, are nice, uh, and they yeah. they can be an option. The bamboo, it's going to be about the third year before you really get some upright growth on it uh, to speak of, and so that that's probably not a good, a good plan. By uh, the way, I can always hire, uh, and I do hire young Aggies to help me with tall pruning. Okay. All right. Well, uh, there are some yopons that go upward pretty nicely. One called Scarlet's Peak that uh, you might want to go and look at. There are some yopons that are weeping. They go up and the branches hang pendently downward. Uh, yopons are an evergreen. Uh, and that that would be a possible option for you on that site. My favorite thing to recommend for screening is just our eastern red cedar. Uh, but they're, that's a wide plant. 
and it's just not going to I'm sure not going to be acceptable for for that situation and then your clay uh, soil is going to run out a lot of other things so I've just spent a long time going through a lot of reasons why a lot of plants may not work <laughs> and you said that would last one was an eastern red cedar yeah eastern red cedar it's the wild cedar you see around here uh, when it's small it looks like a little Christmas tree uh, as it gets older you know it gets very large in, in a long period of time uh, but it can be sheared and it can be kept in somewhat of a shape and uh, it has a pretty decent growth rate uh, but I think the long term of it is you may want to have them coming out at you know a num couple of few decades down the line. Okay. Okay. One last important factor I didn't put in is I hope to ha uh, have a pool in the backyard someday. So something that doesn't you know have a lot of abundance of leaves. Fall the leaves that fall off. Right. Um, so but every every plant. Every plant's leaves fall. Evergreen, deciduous, they all have leaves that fall. Right. Uh, when you're in the juniper or cedar type thing, that's little scaly things that just drop straight down pretty much. When you're looking at something like a, oh, I don't know, a large leaf, sycamore kind of thing, then you got a giant leaf that's flying around. Uh, just, I, I'm just not... Off the top of my head, I need a little more time. Not Send me that email. Let me see if I can come up with something. But I can tell you, Arlington it's going to be a peak yopon and eastern red cedar. Yeah, and and I don't, I don't think the eastern red cedar is a good idea. I can't see your property, how far, how wide, you know, from the property line to the patio kind of thing. And right, uh, but I'm right. for for a more of a, a rural property, you know, a ranchette kind of thing. I think it would be an option, but maybe not for you. Uh, but anyway, okay. send me, okay. maybe send Great. it. Great, I when appreciate you, it. When you email, if you could send a picture of the kind of the view of what you're wanting okay. to hide and I get okay. an, a feel for how far it is, I think I can do a better job of coming up with something for you. All right, I will grab a picture. Thanks. All right, thank you very much, Love Brian. the show. Appreciate Th it. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks Bye -bye. for the call. 845-5689 if you'd like to join us on the air. 845 56 89 and uh, let's see some other things going on around and about uh, th this is wildflower season and I mentioned the uh, festival or the you know activity going on wildflower day at the Boonville Heritage Park and the Chapel Hill Blue Bonnet Festival just getting out and taking a drive through the countryside it's so beautiful to be out there the blue bonnets have just gotten going pretty good and uh, we've got a lot more blue bonnet to come probably another couple of weeks are really good blooming and then it'll continue on after that uh, but getting out and driving uh, going out highway 50 uh, out toward Brenham direction, uh, just enjoying, then crawling around out in the backwoods of Chapel Hill and all of that is kind of fun to, uh, fun drive as well. Uh, when you're heading down south, uh, John Ferry Garden, which is in Hempstead, Texas, uh, and it's jfgarden.org, uh, is going to have open uh, day guided tours on, that leave on the hour at 10 a.m. and at 11 a.m. And you want to arrive early so you can sign in. Uh, if you're a member, it's free. Uh, Non-members uh, is $10 uh, for the tour, but you will get to see a lot of stuff. And that's on Saturdays all through uh, April. Uh, the, in fact, all but, the, I believe, the 16th. It's the 2nd, 9th, 23rd, and 30th of April are listed as days at the John Ferry Garden. Some of y'all went down to a recent festival down there uh, and got to enjoy 
enjoy that. Uh, let's see, some other things going on. Well, some of the other stuff is pretty far out, so I think we'll save and hold it uh, for now. Um, I uh, wanted to go back and, and touch on something else. We had an email, another email question that is now... Oh, I know what it was. The um, uh, Elizabeth has a pothos that was outside on the porch, and it was it was outside where it could be reached by deer, and sure enough, the deer came in and decided to prune it uh, and ate one side of it off. Uh, and, and so the only vines that are left are kind of in the middle, and the question is, will they re-sprout? And pothos can re-sprout a new shoot at the base of a leaf. Where that leaf attaches to the vine, it can send out a new shoot. Uh, now, if, if it's been pruned, you ought to get some new shoots that come out in that area. If not, what I would do is I would take vines from elsewhere on the plant and kind of thread them through over the top in between the leaves and have them kind of hang down, uh, come down off that side, and they will begin to fill in pretty quickly. When, when you get long, denuded areas of pothos vine, they don't tend to relief at all. Uh, sometimes you get shoots and sometimes you don't in time. But the period of time that it's ugly is just a little bit long. And I've had pothos before that got long, scraggly, stringy. I forgot to water it and so a bunch of leaves turned yellow and had to be pulled off or dried up and shriveled. Uh, and then I've got this, this you know, kind of wiry looking pothos and I just gave it a haircut and I mean just sheared it back uh, to the wherever the good foliage was and let it re-sprout and come back out again. And then all those sections that you cut off, you can put about 20 of them in a, in a little uh, container of potting soil and keep it moist and they'll root. Make sure the nodes, that the node is where, on, it's along the vine where a leaf comes out, that's the node. Make sure those are in contact with the soil. They can be slightly under the soil, but basically in contact with the soil. And they'll root there and you will soon have a new full plant getting started uh, from all those chopped off vines. Uh, so I've been in restaurants where they trained them along the wall and it just looked like a rope that went like four feet and then there'd be a leaf and another three feet and there'd be a leaf. And I don't know, I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but I don't behold beauty there. So uh, anyway, uh, our phone number, 845-5689, 845 5689 or by email garden success at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu um, I think we're about running out of time here so we'll just say we're looking forward to talking to you again next Thursday we're here every Thursday to answer your gardening questions in midweek you can catch me at the extension office I'll be happy to assist you from Texas A&M AgriLife Extension You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. 